it's kind of hard to, we did, and uh, I don't know, I'm not too sure what happened, but, uh, you know, as I've said many times before, let him in, Ken. Okay. Tell them all to come in, there you go, there you are. I don't know what happened this last week, I guess too much turkey, I had too much party, too much, uh, too much time uh, with family and too much time away, it's okay. But uh, somebody said, hey, the, those, let's not focus on those who aren't here. Let's focus on those who are here. Amen? And uh, that's what God is doing. And, and, of course, he focuses on all. I want to welcome all of you guys that are listening to us on Facebook and uh, those of you that are here today this morning. And I uh, want to thank you guys for your love, your participation. And without you, uh, we could not uh, get it done. So we want to thank you for that. Also, there's... Um, we take this time to be able to uh, just lift up prayer petitions, anything that you'd like to pray for. Uh, we'd want to uh, lift up any petitions that you may have. So um, if they're at this time, I do want to pray for um, Elisa, Ashley, and, and of course, Militia. They, they lost their, their mom this last, well, yesterday, so they're really just um, uh, in, in pain and, and suffering, and we just want to lift them up in prayer. Okay, uh, anybody else have a prayer petition? Anything we can pray for? Yes, we can continue praying for Kelly. Thank you, Kelly, for just responding. Great, great that God has given you the strength to be here, and praise God for that. Chloe just turned 16. Yeah, uh, pray, I'm praying for you. <laughs> so that was good. Jan, you had to uh, lift, lift up Mary as well. Uh, and of course, those that uh, are, we are constantly on our, our prayer list that aren't with us today, and uh, we'll just continue to lift them up in prayer. Uh, but let, let's pray. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I, I want to first and foremost recognize your presence, recognize who you are, recognize that uh, in spite of what we may think and we may feel, Lord, you are still at work. You're at work in our hearts, you're at work in our life until our final breath, until you take us home. That's when it's all completed and done. And so, Lord, we do thank you for all the, the ways that you've grown us and you've developed us and you're still, you're still developing us. You're perfecting us to become more like Jesus Christ in the struggles and trials that we go through. So I lift up to you those that aren't able to make it and those that aren't here today. We pray for um, Sylvia and little Ernie, Lord, and, and Danny, of course. We lift them up to you. We thank you for their life. And, and thank you, God, for what you do in, in, in them and how you're strengthening them and carrying on, Lord. And uh, I also want to pray for Lucy. I, I haven't, uh, many don't know my cousin Lucy, and I just, you know her, Lord. Pray for her and for Wilbur, and I just thank you for her participation online and for, for the many others that are online as well. We just want to thank you for the participation, Lord. And we, all, we want to lift up to you Mercedes right now. And, and Father, her special need, the, the prayer that she has right now the, uh, of protection, I just pray that you just uh, watch over her, care for her, and show her how big and great and sovereign of a God you are. You're still in control of all things. Lord, we do pray for the girls' uh, family uh, in the loss of a loved one. And we know that uh, you are uh, constantly just raising them up, building them up, and giving them the encouragement and the love and desire that, that, that comes from you, Father. Uh, give, give them, uh, give Elisa the ability to minister and, and to be the, the, the rock and the stronghold that she needs to be, Lord, in that family. And Father, we, we pray for, uh, for Joan and, and uh, just lift her up to you. I thank you for her faithfulness and, and her uh, just ability to be able to still get online and, and uh, listen and encourage us with her presence online, Father. And for those many people that are online and just visit for just a moment. 
we, we thank you for Mary. We pray for her, Lord. And whatever's going on in her life, Father, she's, uh, you brought her here. And, and so now we're responsible for her, at least uh, in prayer, and uh, encourage her. And I just pray, God, that we can help her and, uh, in any way that we can. I thank you for Jan that is uh, just a friend to her and is willing to lift her up in prayer. We pray for James and his daughter and, and uh, just this milestone that they're all going through, Lord. And I know it's going to be a challenge, but God, you're going to minister to them and to the family. Thank you for Kelly for being here, for the strength that you've given her. Father, we just thank you, God, that you are just an awesome God that answers prayer and that has been able to strengthen her. And, and, and Lord, we just, we're just so grateful and thankful of what you're doing in their life. And, uh, and Lord, we also continue to pray for our church and those that aren't here today. We just pray for their traveling mercies and, and all the things that, are go- that they're going through as well. Lord, we come before you through this portion of Scripture to recognize the gifts that you've given the church. You've given this church various gifts, and you've given them for a very specific purpose and a task. And as long as we have breath in our lungs, we are to exercise those gifts to bring glory to you, to edify the church, to edify one another. Help us to realize and to recognize. Help us to put them into practice. And help us, Father, as we grow together, we pray in Jesus' name. And we all say... Amen and amen. All right. Let me have you open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, we are pointing to, we are looking at, we are seeing what, uh, what God has been doing in the book of Ephesians. And actually through Paul to the people in Ephesus, and if you remember correctly, Ephesus is, is, a, is a city, but this letter was addressed to and written for the surrounding cities as well. So it's just not Ephesus, it's the other little communities that are around there. But every community had its own local church. Now we talked about how God has already put together the church. And we may think that we put this church together, or those that were here before us. Just to give you a little bit of history of North Park. North Park Baptist Church used to be North Park Southern Baptist Church of San Bernardino. And it was established in 1964 to, to minister to the community of this, this area. It's called the Arrowhead Farms. Now, a group of people came from First Baptist Church in downtown San Bernardino, which branched off into this one and another church. And, uh, and so together, they have been reaching the peoples in this area. This church has always struggled. It's always had a, a very small population, but it's, it's always been faithful. And God has kept this place uh, going for, for very long. There have been various pastors that have come through here, pastors that have done some very much, very much good, and some that have done some very much damage. And so in the process of building up this community and this church, what God has been doing is he's been perfecting and growing and developing the, the leadership and the people in the church. Uh, when we got here 20 years ago, the church had come to a place where they didn't know what else to do. There was, there was two different churches that were meeting here. At that time, it was Solid Rock and it was Good News Baptist Church. So we merged the two and we became North Park Community Church. And so North Park Community Church in the last 20 years has been somewhat growing and it goes down it goes up and it goes down again it's it's struggled all these years but to say that we have had anything to do with that the only thing that we have anything to do with is the perfecting and the maturing of the of the saints now in the process of perfecting and maturing of the saints that's what keeps the church going and that's what keeps the church alive 
And so as we look around us, we're starting to see, okay, so what's going on? Are we not perfecting? Or are we perfecting too much? Are we expecting too much? What is it that we're doing? Do we need programs? Do we need more, uh, more people to come in? Do we need to, what, what is it that we need? Well, the bottom line is God's the one that has kept this place where it's at for all these years for a very specific purpose. Now, we are still in the process of working through that purpose, that design of what God has done. And every one of you, whether you believe it or not, or whether you like it or not, you're part of this. You're, you're part of what God is going to do. And, and you might think, well, I, I can't do anything. Well, yes, you can. You're still here. And, uh, and I believe that God wants to use you. He wants to put into effect the gifts that you have. And those that continually come on a regular basis, those gifts as well. And I, I think maybe as we've been talking about this in the last couple of weeks, it, people get somewhat afraid or, you know, I don't know if I can do this. Well, no, you're not supposed to do this. God is supposed to do this through you. And I don't know if you're uh, intimidated or whatever the case may be, but you let God, through his Holy Spirit, work through you. Now, you may not know what that gift is, and that's why you have a pastor, that's why you have kin, and that's why you have all these other leaders to help you and, and, and develop you. But some of you already have thought of something that the church needs. You know, I wish we had something like this. You know, what we need is this type of a ministry, or this type of a gift. And, and the biggest drawback that happens is because it's so big and so huge, I can't do that. But God gave you that vision of a men's home, of a women's home, of whatever. God gave you that vision. And he gave you that vision and he empowered you with the spiritual gift that you need. All you need to do now is just to step out in faith and watch God do so. In the process, before we even get to that point, you know, and I was asked this question here just recently. What would you do if we had, you know, 200 people sudden show up? Well, the point is, is that as your pastor, your pastor teacher, my responsibility is to help you and to develop you and to help you grow in the teachings and the doctrine of what the Bible teaches. Because without a solid foundation, without a structure on God's word, without that, then it's all just going to fall apart. And I believe that's what's happened way in the past. But now as we're developing this, this idea and this understanding of what the Bible teaches and how we are to place it within our lives and then work with it and live with it, it, it becomes a little bit challenging. It becomes a little bit intimidating. What? I'm supposed to be perfect? How am I supposed to be perfect? Jesus said that you must be perfect like your Father in heaven is perfect. And so how do I do that? And so once we start getting into this lesson today, I, I pray that you get an understanding of what Paul is talking about, about being perfected, mature, what Jesus had talked about, being, per being perfect. Because perfection or perfect, we get the idea that we are sinless. We're supposed to be sinless. We're not supposed to be doing anything wrong and, uh, and, and nothing wrong. Well, that's the goal. That's God's goal. Jesus says that's where you're supposed to be. He wants you to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. That is what he's calling us to do. And so how do we do that? How does that happen? Well, let's go to our outline. And first of all, let me read to you what's been going on here in, as far as where we're at in chapter 4. And if you remember, the last few weeks, 
Paul, he says, therefore a prisoner. And I'm reading out of verse 1 very quickly. He says, I urge you. Paul is begging. He's pleading. Walk the worthy walk. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Jesus Christ paid the price. He paid the penalty. You have been called with the very precious call because Jesus Christ died for your sin. And he says, walk in all humility and in gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. And and we talked about humility. That's the first thing that needs to come out because humility leads to gentleness or meekness is what is, is known also. Gentleness and meekness are synonymous. And we talked about the meekness of a horse. He still has the power, but it's under control. Humility is one of the things that we have a hard time with because if I get disrespected, I want to lash out. And so humility is one of the hardest things for some, most men, most people to have to deal with. Because, you know, if I get disrespected, I want to lash out. I want to at least say something back. But we have to humble ourselves as Jesus Christ himself did. Uh, with, with humility, gentleness, patience, uh, of course, you already have all these. God has given these to you in the fruit of the Spirit. Bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So we want to keep the unity in the bond of peace. The unity is what Jesus Christ has died for. Remember, we talked about this in John chapter 15 when Jesus is praying to the Father and he's saying, I want them to be one like you and I are one. The whole world can see that they are one. He goes over and he uses the word one, oneness, unity. He says, this is why I'm here to make one man. Paul tells us, and we read this here a few weeks ago, on how what Jesus Christ did on the cross, he took the Jewish nation and everybody else and he made them all one. And so the whole purpose and the whole process of what God is doing is building this unity. We have to be one. And so how does he do that? How does he make us one? Well, when we, we talked about his ascending and, and descending, we, we talked a little bit about that. But in verse 12, and this is where I want to go to, verse 11 and 12, uh, when he descended, and then he says, he uh, is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. If, you, if this portion of scripture has been somewhat confusing to some, I encourage you to listen to a couple of weeks ago and last week's message, and it'll give you a better understanding of what Paul is talking about there. And, uh, and so anyways, in verse 11, he goes on to say, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Father in heaven, thank you for this portion of scripture. Though we may be few, you have done some amazing work through just one or two people. 
And I know, God, that you have still uh, a plan and a purpose for this group here at North Park, as you do throughout the world. And so I pray, Lord, that today we can capture that and see how it is that that's supposed to unfold in our life, within our ministry, within this church. You gave us gifts, and these gifts you gave us to the church for a very specific purpose. So as Paul unfolds what is supposed supposed to happen, here, Lord, help us to understand it as well. Help us to grasp it and run with it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Why did God give the church gifts? As I mentioned last week, I I said, you know, if, if I could have crafted this a little bit better, probably, and stretched it out a little bit more, this is probably the message that I would like to have for Christmas. However, I know that God has something else in store for us because as we go through it, I don't even know what it is as of yet, but as we go through the Word of God, God is showing us and developing us. And, and what, what He has purposed up to this point, He says, you need to understand this. As you're getting ready, as you're getting ready for the arrival of Christmas, as the world, as God was preparing the world for the arrival of Jesus Christ, there were some things that needed to take place. I don't know if you understand this or not, but in the Old Testament, in the book of Malachi, that was the last voice or the last um, words that anybody had ever heard from God. For 400 years, God was silent. There were no more visions. There were no more dreams. There were no more uh, prophecies. Everything ceased at the time of Malachi until the angels proclaimed glory to God in the highest. God broke through. And they call that year, those 400 years of silence, they call it the intertestamental period. There was a lot that happened during that time. There was a lot that happened in 400 years. Alexander the Great was conquering the world. Alexander the Great brought Greek into all nations. Into every, and so Greek was the standard language. The architect, the roadworks, the aqueducts, everything that they had learned, they brought it to the rest of the world. And it was a good thing that... He had conquered, it took him some time, but he had conquered everything and set the world stage. And as we saw in Galatians, at the right time, God sent his son, born of a woman, into the world. At the right time. What was the right time? Well, there was peace throughout the land. There were roads to be able to be traveled through. There was all this, the economy was great. People were were just enjoying this freedom. There was one language, which was Greek. And so when Jesus Christ came onto the the world, when he invaded this planet, it made for a huge inroad, especially with everything that had already took, taken place in that intertestamental period. And they were waiting. They were waiting for the, the highest call of God. They were waiting for the consolation of Israel. They were waiting for God to break through. And he breaks through in the form of a man, Jesus Christ. And so as you are preparing for this time of the year of gifts, of giving and receiving. Understand that you have received, that the church has received the greatest gift of all times. Let's go over that, those gifts. In verse 11, he says, And he gave the apostles and prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Now, you have to understand that we have the apostles and the prophets were very important people, very important in the time of writing the scriptures. The apostles received all the 
uh, the revelation of God, and they wrote it down. Every, almost every person in the New Testament was an apostle. And they wrote what God gave them to write. He says, this is my revelation to you. And they were so important because that's what God used them for. He picked them out. Jesus Christ picked them out specifically, walked with him for the entire time of his ministry, witnessed the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and they were empowered to proclaim the word of God. Go back a couple of weeks ago and, and listen to the sermon. We'll talk to you about what apostles meant and how they are, are not functioning today as they did in the, in the first century. Prophets. Prophets were spokesmen for people. They, gave, they took the word from the apostles. They took the word and they spoke it out. And they prophesied. They, they, projected it and they proclaimed what God was doing and they shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with all the world again in in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 we read that the apostles and the prophets were the foundation of the church and Jesus Christ as the cornerstone and so therefore once they laid the foundation there was no other foundation to be laid on top of that and that's why we have now the evangelists the pastor teachers something very careful that you have to look at here you'll see that when Paul is talking about these different offices it's not a fivefold office there are four, actually, offices, and you can see that in the King James Version, it'll say that he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists. And then it says, and some shepherds, teachers or pastors, teachers. The, the word some or in the English Standard Version, it says the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists and the shepherd teachers. Shepherd teachers is the same thing. He's a pastor, a shepherd that, that, that leads, and a teacher that feeds. A shepherd, a pastor, is a teacher. You know, for many years, people have accused me of being a teacher. <laughs> you, you know, you're not a preacher. And I, I couldn't understand exactly what they were saying. You know, I, you're not one of those fiery type of preachers, you know, that gets up there and, you know, I guess I could be. I mean, I could yell and scream and stomp and spit and all that other stuff. But God hasn't called me to do that. And, and the interesting thing is, is that's pretty much my nature. I would rather be the one in the forefront. I'd like to be the one that's in, in the middle of all things. And God has humbled me in these few years and, and, and continues to and to show me you know just teach the word just teach the word just teach the word and and so it's it's somewhat been of a gift to me and God is giving these types of gifts to the church to the church everywhere not just here at this church but everywhere there are pastor teachers and the pastor teachers what they do is the work of an evangelist the evangelist what they do is they proclaim the word they teach the word it had never been a responsibility or a job of the evangelist to go out and evangelize people to bring them to the Lord, like we have in today's culture. It has always been the job of the people to be evangelist. And as they evangelize, if you remember in Acts chapter 2, and, and what they're talking about, they gathered together daily, and they broke bread in people's homes, and they learned from the apostles, and they learned the apostles' teaching, and that's the doctrine that they were learning. And, you know, in the process of learning, and in the process of gathering, and in the process of fellowshipping, you know what happened? The, the Bible says that they grew exponentially. 
They grew because there was teaching, there was sound doctrine. And as it, as it grew, of course, it brought in false doctrine and other people. Paul went up against that. Every letter that we've read so far, Paul is addressing false doctrine, false teaching. Be careful, stick to the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. But you can't handle the truth. That's true. Some people can't. And it's the truth that has set people free. Jesus had prophesied that from the very beginning. And, and so the evangelist, what he did is he went out and proclaimed, this is what Jesus Christ did. You were a sinner. You were separated from God. You offended a holy God. And now God has come before you and he is ready to unleash his wrath and his judgment. But the wrath of God was satisfied in Jesus Christ. And people were cut to the heart. And they said, what, what must we do? Well, Repent. Repent. He didn't ask them to raise their hands. They didn't ask them to come forward or fill out a card or whatever the case may be. They repented and they began to grow because of what they spoke. They spoke the truth. And so when, when the Bible, when Paul is telling us that he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, he gave them to the church and he didn't just give them so they can come up and be paid or be show-offs or be whatever the case may be. He gave them for a very specific purpose and here it is, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. The the purpose and the, and the responsibility of a pastor teacher is to equip you. You are a saint. You, are, you have been made a saint. Not that you're perfect, but he has made you a saint. Sainthood seems to have taken on a whole different connotation nowadays. But the word hagia, the, the word saint, is just a called out one. One that has been called out of the world. You're different. You're, 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 you're different now. You're not like the rest. You're not common, you're holy or you're called out. Not that you're perfect, but you're separated from the rest of the group. You're separated from the rest of the clan. He's, he's taken the goats and he's put them on the left-hand side and he's taken the sheep and he says, these are mine. These belong to my pen. And he says, now you have been made perfect. And, and so the, this, this word to equip the saints, this word to be matured. And every time you see the word mature, it's also the same word as perfect. It's the same word, but it's translated differently in the King James Version as perfect and mature in the English Standard and other modern translations. And, and it's kind of hard to grasp exactly what that means because I can say you need to be matured. I says, well, yeah, I sure need to do, I need to be that. But if I tell you, you need to be perfect, you know, well, I don't know if I can do that. I know I could mature. I should mature. Uh, I haven't matured. And, and if you're honest with yourself, God is still working on your maturity. Can you say amen to that? Yeah, I mean, he is. He's still working on my maturity. You know, I, I, no matter how old I get, some people, say, some people say, you know, you might be getting older, but, you know, growing up is optional. Well, not in the economy of God. Beloved, you need to grow up. I need to grow up. We need to, be, we need to grow up. And you cannot grow up unless you have a pastor teacher that's helping you to grow. And so I have made it my goal to, to, to challenge you. And yes, I might say some things that you might not agree with. And, you know, if we talk about that afterward, you know, we, we can discuss it. But when I'm sharing with you the word of God, it's the word of God. And you may not agree with it, but you're not disagreeing with me. You're disagreeing with the word of God and with God himself. And when God says that you are to be perfect, when Jesus said, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, he means it. 
He wants you to be mature. He wants you to grow up and to develop. No more of this going into a hysteria because, you know, I can't meet my financial burden or because uh, somebody has disrespected me or because of, uh, you know, whatever else is going on in the world. You know, in, in all the things that have been going on these last few years, and it's been longer than just these last two years, but these last two years have really just kind of brought it up to a forefront. It doesn't even have to be hidden anymore. At least before you can see it, you know, you couldn't see it as well. But now it's like, and, and it was in 2000 and, uh, 2015 when I had said publicly, I says, you know, in five years, this is not going to be the America that you once knew. And lo and behold, it's been happening. And it's not because I can tell the future. It's because I'm watching everything that is going on and p- paying attention to the laws that were being implemented. When, when abortion became more accessible in, in the schools and for young adults, one of the laws that were passed in California was that a child, a teenage girl, if she wanted to get an abortion, she didn't have to notify her parents that the school board can just take them to an abortion clinic and nobody can say anything because that was her constitutional right now. That's the way it was. And abortions were being done and parents weren't being told. And I remember back then, I can't even ask the nurse to give my children an aspirin. You know, but, but they can go out and get an abortion? Well, that's different. And so these things were creeping up, and they've been creeping up slowly, but now, as I said, in the last couple of years, it is just so obvious. The problem is that people have gotten so numb and so uh, blind and deceived, and it, they think that it's all, it's all good. And we're at a point now where it's out there. And people, they struggle in the things that take place. And people were such in a hysteria this last couple of weeks. We're not going to have Thanksgiving. They're shutting out our power. And woe is me and all kinds of, you know, if they shut off my power, they shut off my power. I'll start a fire outside and barbecue that sucker on a spigot or something, you know. We'll do something. Don't have to have turkey. What I want is my family. That's the most important thing, to have everybody together. And what's taking place in in today's culture is that the church is in trouble because they don't know their doctrine. They don't know what God is doing. They don't realize that God is sovereign. He is in control. Whatever he does in your life is not just about you. It doesn't affect just you. And we take it personal. What are you doing to me, God? Why me, God? And we take it personal as Christians. What we need to do is step back and say, okay, Lord, let me see what it is that you're doing in the whole scheme of things. The problem is, is that as immature believers, we don't see it. That's why the Bible says that we need to be matured. So to equip the saints, to mature the saints, to, in the King James Version, it would say to perfect the saints for the work of the ministry. There's three types of perfection in our life that God is doing. Number one, and in your outline, is the positional perfection. Positional perfection. Wait a minute. I don't know if I gave you the outline to number one. To perfect the saints. To perfect the saints is number one. The bullet point right below that is, I, I talked about it, I just didn't give it to you. To perfect the saints. But how does God perfect us? Well, there's three ways that he perfects us. First of all, it's positional Perfection, positional perfection. When you come to Jesus Christ and, and you recognize that you are part of the elect, when you recognize that he has died on the cross for you, 
then what, what God does is he places you in this position that he sees you as perfect. As Hebrews 10, 14 says, For by a single offering, which is Jesus Christ, the blood offering, the blood sacrifice of Christ on the cross, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. In Hebrews, Hebrews is a very good book, especially about the sacrificial system. It was written for the Hebrews people. Some people believe it's Paul. I'm not too convinced as of yet, though much of what it says is, is Paul-like or Pauline. However, the point is, is that he's writing to the Jews, the Hebrew people that understand and that see and know the law and how it operates. And, and they knew the sacrificial system, the blood sacrifice, would perfect you or at least cleanse your sins for that year. You'd have to come back next year to get cleansed again. And every year they would sacrifice a, a lamb. Every day for the morning prayers, they would sacrifice a lamb. There had to be that sacrificial system. When Jesus Christ came, the veil was torn into Jesus. He, a single sacrifice, perfected for all times those who are being sanctified. Sanctified is the process that we go through in life. As a believer, this is why you struggle. This is why there's things that happen in your life because God is sanctifying you. He's purifying you. He's perfecting you. And when you are reborn, you're regenerated. When we die, we're going to be glorified. We're, gener we're, we're, we're regenerated. We, we are born again, then there's going to be this glorification, regeneration, glorification. And in the process, there's this sanctification. And the writer to the Hebrews says, he's already made you perfect by this one. You, you already stand perfected. In other words, if you were to die right now, it doesn't matter what, you know, how bad you think you are. God is perfecting you. You are in his presence. You've been made holy. I share this, and I've shared this a few times this last week with people. It says, you know... The problem is, is that we're not perfect. None of us are perfect. We've all sinned. You know, well, I'm a pretty good guy. Have you ever lied? Well, yeah, the Bible calls that a liar. Says, have you ever thought of impure thoughts? Well, yeah, well, the Bible calls that an adultery. Have you ever used the Lord's name in vain? Yeah, well, maybe. Well, the Bible says that you're a blasphemer. You're a lying, adulterous blasphemer. You think God's going to let you into heaven? Well, no, but nobody's perfect, right? That's not an excuse. That's a condemnation. The fact that you're not perfect is condemning you for all eternity. So well, then who's going to make it to heaven? That's a great question. <laughs> I'm glad you came. You have to bring them to that point of understanding that none of us can make it. None of us are righteous. And, and at that point, we have to recognize, we have to share with them that you are made. Once you commit your life to God, once you understand that, once you understand that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, he has perfected you. And you're positionally perfected. And you're made perfect. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 2, 6, it says, Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. What That word mature could be the perfect. In the King James Version, it says, Those of you that are perfect, we give you this wisdom. We give you this wisdom to continue perfecting you. You're perfect in the eyes of God. You're made perfect. I know you're not perfect in life, uh, or at least Maybe I shouldn't be so presumptuous. I am not perfect in life. Where you stand, that's between you and God. But I know I am not perfect in life. But I know because of his word, he has perfected me. And I stand perfected before God. 
Amen? Does that mean? That makes sense. That's positional perfection. And then there's that ultimate perfection. This is the second type of perfection. Ultimate perfection is when we're in the presence of God. In Hebrews, again, chapter 12, verse 23, he says, And to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. So one day we will stand perfectly before God. We, we stand there, though we don't sense it right now. We stand perfectly. And then the third one is practical perfection. And this is the kind of perfection that Paul just chastised the people in Corinth to be. You know, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, Paul would say, you have this promise of salvation. You have this promise of the spiritual gifts. You have this promise of unity. Now You've got all these promises. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Maturing that holiness, perfecting it. This is a process that we go through. Again, in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Rest, perfection, the word perfection, in the Greek meant restoration, to bring together, to make whole, to, to be perfect. It, 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 and it, and it, had that, it had that whole idea of restoring. Katarizo is the word that is used in Greek. Katarizo is where we get the word cauterize. To cauterize something is to make it complete, to, to close the wound by burning it, to, by making it, you know, stopping the infection. That's where we get that word at. And, and what Paul is saying here is, is you know, you got to stop that infection. you got to do what you can. Apply the, the, the word of God to stop all that junk that's going on in your life and cleanse yourself and aim for that type of perfection or restoration. Now, check this out. Look at this. The first two, positional perfection, God has to do that in your life. He has to do that in your life. Okay? Ultimate perfection, God has to do that in your life. He has to do that in your life. Practical perfection, that's left to the pastors, the teachers, the evangelists that God has placed in the church. Practical perfection is what the leader, the spiritual leader of the church, the pastor teacher, is to encourage you and to help you and to exhort you and to command you into what Jesus Christ has called for you to be. Remember, he died on the cross for you. He's given spiritual gifts. You have spiritual gifts. Paul is talking about these four gifts right here. But in Romans chapter 12, and 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and Peter, he talks about all these other serving gifts. There are speaking gifts and there are serving gifts. And these gifts are given for the church to edify, to build up the church. Perfecting holiness. 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Finally, brothers, rejoice and aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Paul says this right after he finishes just unloading on there in 1 Corinthians. And then he writes another letter, which we don't have. And then he writes 2 Corinthians. In the last chapter, in the last few verses, he says, Perfect yourselves. Mature. Aim for this restoration. Aim for this... Cauterization of your soul, of your spirit. Cleanse yourself. Remove that filth. This is, he's talking to believers that still want to hold on to the world and still want to hold on to all this mess that they end up making a mess of themselves. How does God do that? How does God 
take care of this perfecting. How does God use it? Well, one, one, one thing that he does is he uses testing. Testing is a way of perfecting the believer. Testing is, is a way of being able to help a person to grow and to develop. And you go through various, various types of tests and various types of ways of, of uh, well, you know, I, I'm looking for it, but let me just go to the Bible. In James chapter 1, you know, it never fails me. Amen. If you want to go to James chapter 1, James is right after Hebrews. In James chapter 1, verse 2, if you want to go there with me, it says this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking and nothing. You see, again, be perfect, be mature, be developed, be restored. Not that you are perfect in the sense that most people believe it, but you're maturing. And how does he do that? Well, this is why he says, count it joy when you go through these various things. Now, I don't want to belittle the troubles and trials and tribulations that you've gone through in life and that you're going through even now but you know God is using that he's using that to test you to try you to to show you what you're made of to show you your weaknesses you know I I just recently had gone through this you know and 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 just thinking about it this last week I haven't even shared it with my my wife yet but just thinking about it this last week uh and, and it was Earlier last week or the week before that I realized, man, you know, I was really going through this testing period and I failed. <laughs> and I, I failed, but I looked back and I says, you know, I, I, sh- I shouldn't have worried. You know, I, I shouldn't have worried and got all up in arms about what's going to happen, you know, uh, you know financially. God has us in a place right now where he, he wants us to be. Now, if he decides that that's as far as we're going to go, well, then so be it. God has something else in store. And so be it. I'll just step back and just... Wait until God comes through in something else. Or maybe this is where we need to be. And, and, and so I learned a valuable lesson there. And um, you'll find out later. <laughs> um, well, you know, my wife is very good at, she's very intuitive about looking at those things. But, but the, the point is, is that there's times that we have to just step back and realize, okay, I failed at that. Okay, Lord, I'm ready. I'm ready to go forward. And he tests you and he checks you out and he shows you what you're made out of. Uh, another way that he does, not only testing, but you know, there's tribulations that you go through. There's tribulations that happen in your life that are painful, that are hard, that are heavy. And, and you see, and, and those are the things that really just take place in your life. And God says, you know, I'm allowing these tribulations to happen in your life so that it can build your faith. And if, if nothing else, if nothing, these last two years haven't showed us anything, that's exactly what God has been taking the church through. The church has been going through this tribulation period. And it's just a tribulation period. There's a tribulation period. Then there's the the tribulation uh, of the seven years. And then there's going to be the the great tribulation. Three types of tribulations. Right now we're going through the various tribulations that the world has been going through. There's going to be the seven-year tribulation. And then in the middle of that, there's going to be the great tribulation. And... Beloved, if, if you're not even making it to the tribulations right now, if it just happens to fold you every time something 
catastrophic comes up. And for some people, catastrophic could be, you know, I mean, again, not trying to belittle the loss of a loved one. But something catastrophic sometimes could be the loss of a job or the sickness of a loved one or something to, your, to that effect. And it can be very catastrophic, but, but beloved, God has something else in store for you. He's sovereign. Remember that. He's sovereign. You got you to trust in his sovereignty. He is in control. He is in control. Not me. And whatever God is doing in your life, let him just work it through. Do what you can. Do your part. But let the, leave the rest of it up to God. Now, this is interesting. Because, you see, I can't take you through tribulations. Well, at least I shouldn't. <laughs> I can't cause trials and temptations upon you. I can't do that. This is all done by God and His Holy Spirit. But what I can do is I can teach. I can teach you. That's my part. That's the part of the practical perfection. My part is that part. Let's go to the next few verses. Maybe this will come out a little bit clearer. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11, where it says He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds. And, and, and He gave that, number one, on the back of your outlines, to progress... The, the progress to perfection. How we progress, how do we grow? Well, we grow through what, the, what we're learning. We, go, we grow through what I just mentioned right now, the tests, the trials, the tribulations. Oh, and there's another way that God causes us to grow. And those, that is trespasses. Trespasses of others. Things that people do to you at no fault of your own. You know, there's, there's trials, there's tribulations, there's trespasses. And trespasses are just those things that, that, you know, out of the blue, just boom, somebody just comes off and just knocks you off your horse and knocks you off your feet. Doesn't sweep you off your feet, but knocks you off your feet because of sin or arrogance or whatever the case may be. It just happens. It, 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 no fault of your own. And there's one last thing I didn't want to mention is troubles. And most of the time, those troubles come because of what you have done. I'm not just looking at you, brother. <laughs> it's because of what you have done. Troubles that I call, cause upon myself. Troubles that I say, you know, I can't believe I did this. And then I blame God, or I blame Satan, or I blame everybody else. You see, temptations come from Satan. Temptations come from Satan, and they come from Satan to draw you away from God. And trials... You know, they, they come from, uh, from God. And God causes these trials to come upon you to draw you closer to God. And, and trespasses come from other people. And, and they're, 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 they're happening upon you to, to, you know, make you hate humanity. But troubles are troubles that I myself cause on myself. And there's four ways to respond to this. Number one, you wanna, if, if you're going through temptations, the Bible says resist the devil and he would flee. Resist him. If you're being tested by God, then maybe what you need to do is rest. Rest upon what God is doing. And if there's tribulation, excuse me, if there's trespasses in your life because of what other people are doing, then the Bible says is to release them. You know, don't hold on to it, just release it. If somebody has wronged you, if somebody, and these trespasses are causing this anguish and this pain and this, all this stuff upon your life, release them. That's the best thing you can do. And people say, but they're going to get away with it. They're going to get away with what, what they're doing. It's, they're not getting away with anything, first of all. Second of all, there's nothing you can do about that. You know, God says vengeance is His. Let Him deal with it. He's better at vengeance than you are. 
If it's your own trespasses, excuse me, if it's your own troubles, then what you need to do is repent. The problem is when we look at those, we always blame the devil, we blame God, we blame other people, and most of the time it's our own stupid fault. Things that we do. And this is why we are constantly repenting. And this is the process that God is using. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ, is what he says in Colossians 1.28. And then in 2 Corinthians 13.11, once again, he says, Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Aim for that. Point number two, on the back of your outline, the purpose of perfection. Paul gives us the, perfect, the, the, the purpose of perfection. And in verses 13 through 14, he says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. The purpose of us being perfected, us maturing, is to have this unity, to have this oneness. You see, when you are, when you are humbling yourself, Walking worthy of the, of the walk. You're humbling yourself. You're, you're operating in gentleness and meekness. When you're operating in peace with one another, when you, when you love one another beyond, it, and you're holding nobody you know, at a, a standard that you're mad at them, when, when you're just holding on to the bond of peace, when you're doing these things, when you're understanding that, that God has given the church gifts to grow you up, to develop you, and to, and to cause you to grow the church, all these things, the, the perfection, what starts to happen is you have nothing else to do but to come to unity. It, 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 just, it just folds right into one another until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. And what we need to know is more about who Jesus Christ is. I don't need another second blessing. I don't need a, a, an additional person to come out and, and proclaim and preach. And, and we don't need programs. What we need to do is know the Son of God. Know the power of the resurrection. Paul himself says, you know, I, I want to know Christ I want to know the power of his resurrection. And this is not just some intimate knowledge or intellectual knowledge that I acquire by reading about him on Google or YouTube or watching a movie. This is an intimate understanding of the Son of God. This Christmas season, people are going to be so distorted and have a different view of who Jesus Christ is. They still see him as a baby. I spoke with a couple yesterday that said, you know, well, we have Jesus on the cross because it's important to know that Jesus is on the cross. I says, well, Jesus is not on the cross. (laughs) We took him off of there because he no longer is crucified. He's a king. If anything, you should put him, put a crown on him more than anything else. Oh, yeah, we put crowns on him sometimes. But it's to know the Son of God, to mature manhood. And I understand that this... um, Anthropoi is the word there. It's not anthropos, just man. But the manhood, anthropoi, is everyone. It's including male and female. It's not just for the guys. Guys, it's for everyone. To mature, to be perfected. To be matured and perfected into that person that God can use. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine. You know, there are a lot of doctrines out there. There are a lot of teachings out there. There are a lot of people sharing with you. And, you know, this might seem very good because, man, look at the doctor. Look at the teaching of this, this group. And, and look, at, look at how huge it is and, and, and how big it is and just the money that's pouring in and the ministry that they're doing. 
I had a conversation with a friend of mine just recently. He says, you know, God's hand must really be on this ministry. And I go, well, with that logic, I guess God must have his hand on all the other uh, pagan religions as well that are growing by numbers. God must have his hand on, you know, this heathen religion, have his hand on on that religion, and and you know that they're not godly. He goes, well, yeah, I think about it that way. Yeah, there there is a false doctrine. There is a false apostles. There are false prophets that raise up false ministries. And this is why it's important to know your doctrine. It may sound good. It might even feel good. I might even just be really just, oh, man, it just made me feel really. I got electrical shocks just walking in there. And you walk out, and it's the same old thing. Beloved, we have to change from the inside out. The purpose is for, uh, for the perfection, is for, for to the unity, the knowledge, the maturity, to the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro. Uh, you know, I've run across a lot of people that say, you know, I've been a Christian for 20 years. And it's evident by their life that they've been a one-year-old Christian 20 times. And it just doesn't seem to grow, develop. They haven't been challenged. And one of the problems that I have found, at least here, is that the moment we start challenging people, they say, I don't want that, you know. Just make me feel good. Just feel my need, you know. Just what, kind, what do you have for me? You know, and, and well, first of all, you got, you got to grow. Well, no, no, you just got to spoon feed me. I had somebody tell me that in the office one day. Well, I'm just here to get fed. But you're one of the leaders. Well, I'm just here to get fed. Just, just feed me. Hurry up. Get it over with because I'm, I'm hungry and I got to go. <laughs> Tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunningness. This human cunningness is the is this deceitful game that humans play with one another. It's like playing with loaded dice is what the point that they're trying to get across. Playing with loaded dice where you just throw it out. Oh, you lost. Sorry about that. Or playing with the, uh, a card, a deck of cards that has been marked. And this craftiness in deceitful schemes. Schemes is the word schemata, where we get the word uh, schemata in Greek is schemes is what Satan does in himself. All these lies and deceptions. Beloved, you have to be aware. You have to be aware. And the only way to help you to be aware, I am not going to teach you what 3,500 other religions do. I am not going to share with you all the many ways that Satan can deceive you. I've already done that. I mean, I've done that with three things. You know, he deals with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. Everything is underneath that umbrella. But we're not going to go here systematically one by one by one. What I want to show you is the truth. I want to show you what the Bible says. So when everything else comes into play, you can say, well, yeah, it doesn't line up. I've heard that. You've, you've told me that before. It just, I see that, and I, but it just doesn't sound right. It's because you're learning doctrine. That just, you know, it just doesn't sound like it should go together because you're learning doctrine. Doctrine is important. I've had people tell me, you know, it's, it's unity. We got, forget the doctrine. You teach too much doctrine. You know, you cannot teach enough doctrine. That's what builds the unity. The last thing I want to share with you is the power of perfection. Where does that perfection come from? Where does that maturing come from? Is it something that the pastor does? Well, my responsibility is to give you and to feed you and to lead you. My responsibility is to share with you and and, and to get you into these classes. And, and, you know, I, I can't get enough of you guys into class. I wish I could. I wish I could get more people in these classes. 
But the power of perfection, Paul says in verses 15 and 16, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head. Who is the power? Well, Him. Who's Him? Jesus Christ. He is the power of this perfection. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head. Into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You want to have the church grow? Start working. You see, babies don't make more babies. All right? At least I haven't. That, that hasn't happened that I know of. Babies don't make babies. Mature adults make babies. Maturity is what needs to take place in all our lives. I still need to mature. We all need to mature. And when we start to mature, you become an evangelist. How? By sharing with people, you know, here's what the Bible teaches. Really? Yeah. And the Bible says that you're destined to go to hell if you don't have uh, Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior applied His blood to your sin. And He's taken your sin and has put, applied it upon Himself. It's, it's very simple. We, we're going through the class of evangelism here pretty soon. Uh, in, in chapter 9 or 10, I think it is, of the, found, the fundamentals of faith. And, and share with you on how to share your faith. Really, it's just, it's not a gimmick, it's not a, it's not a program, it's, not, it's just a matter of knowing what the Bible says. And when you do that, you can do it very easily. And it, and it never was a program. And the problem is that most people think that an evangelist is what, what I do. Billy Graham does, well, used to do. Franklin Graham, Greg Laurie, those people, those are evangelists. No, beloved, we are the teachers the pastors that are to teach you, to train you, to develop you, to mature you, so that you can have more disciples. And you bring them, not to church, you bring them to a study, you bring them to yourself. You can bring them to church, but you first need to bring them to Jesus Christ. you got to bring them to Jesus Christ. The power of perfection, Paul says it, said it in Ephesians 1.22, And he put all things under his feet, and he gave him as head over all things to the church. He is Jesus Christ. says the same things in Colossians 1.18, And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. He is the power. He is the source. The head, and, and as Paul was saying here a little bit ago, you see that, that from whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which is, it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I don't know if you've ever witnessed or seen a body that has no control of itself. If you've ever seen or noticed that there's a, there, you know, nothing seems to be working or connected. The brain has somehow disconnected from its neurological system. And, and sometimes that's how a church operates. It's disconnected from the head. Beloved, we have to make a consorted effort to stay connected to the head, which is Jesus Christ. And when we do that, when we do that, we stand and we recognize our sin. Because when we stand before Christ, we recognize, I'm not worthy. I, I, can't, I can't do this. You, you know what he says? He says to you, 
I know. <laughs> I know you can't do this. But I gave you a gift. And I expect for you to use it. I gave you the ability to do something and you need to do something with it. Now, there's some of you that are listening online and some of you that are watching this. You're part of this as well. Stop being afraid. Stop looking to other people to fill your need. Stop looking for this uh, Facebook webinar or page, whatever it is, to fill what it is that you need to have filled for just today. You belong in a church body. And beloved, if you can't make it to this church body, or if you don't want to come to this church body, go to a church body that will employ your spiritual gifts. Because you're needed. And if you don't do it, nobody else will. If you don't do it, nobody else will. Now, I mean, I have a personal living testimony right here in front of us that will tell you, you know, I mean, there's a body here. And she's here with us, as you see. But to expect her to operate with the spiritual gift is, well, you know, you can't do that. And I understand that, you know, some of you are limited with some of your mobility. But your spiritual gift is still your spiritual gift. You are responsible for that. And God would not have given it to you if he didn't think you can do something with it. Ultimately, if it's not being employed, it's my fault. The Bible says, do not become a teacher because you will be held in higher regard, more responsible. One day I'll stand before God and I'm going to say, he's going to ask me, so what did you do with the gift I gave you? Well, they didn't want to listen. <laughs> they didn't want to come to church. Well, why not? What was your life like? Well, forget about me. Let's talk about them. Oh, when they get here, we'll talk about them. But what about you? What about you? And ultimately, in that part, God is perfecting you positionally. God has perfected you. God, he has perfected you positionally. He has perfected you ultimately. But practically, he's given you a pastor teacher to perfect you in all these other circumstances. So I'm not even going to ask you to forgive me if I bother you because I'm going to bother you. I'd rather be bothered by you than by God. You know, God one day is going to, what, what happened? Well, you know that guy that you, that's not going to work. Let me ask you to stand. This message was probably more for me than it was for you. I pray that you also received a word as well. We're all responsible. We are. All of us. And I appreciate your appreciation of your pastor in the years past. And I appreciate that, uh, that you, you, you do what you can. And, but I believe that God, the, our greatest days are still ahead. It's just a matter of being faithful. And uh, in spite of what I've said many times before, I'm not giving up. I'm not, I, I can't. This is where I, I need to be at this moment. Unless God has a different plan, this is where I'm at. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I want to thank you first and foremost for the gentle discipline and even somewhat heavy hand that you placed upon my life today. 
And Lord, I know that ultimately the responsibility of equipping the saints falls upon the leadership of this church. And I pray, Lord, that you forgive my, my laxity, my inabilities. my Well, I don't even have inabilities, Lord. You've given me all the abilities that I need. But my disobedience to your word of the perfecting of the saints. And Lord, I pray that as uh, I step out in, in this vein, that uh, I could lead by example on what it is that we need to do. And Father, I do thank you for those that have stepped up and those that are here and those that have, have come in the past and want, willing to get in, involved and, and wanting to be a part of what it is that you're doing here. And you're not done with us yet, I know. But we have gifts. We have abilities. All of us are teachers to some extent. All of us are looking over and overseeing as a pastor does. All of us are a part of this body. And because we are part of this body, Lord, help us to keep you where you, your position is. You are the head. We want to be connected. We want to be connected to you and to one another. So thank you, Father, for this gentle reminder as we move forward in the book of Ephesians and we move forward into this holiday season, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. May the Lord be with you. Next Sunday, we have our Lord's Supper, so we'll be ready for that.